Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Invite the children to be dismissed to Children's Choir and Children's Church. Um, And as they're going, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 8. We're continuing in our series, uh, setting through the Gospel of Mark as we prepare to uh, move towards Easter. And um, we come this morning to really, this this is the climaxing part of the the gospel of mark or up until this point this is the climax passage um, everything has been building until this this moment and so just as a recap uh, from from chapter 1 on mark has been posing us with this question we've seen this question on the lips of of several people and the question is this who is jesus in his introduction, Mark has told us that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ. But then, uh, from here on out, the question has remained, who is this man? Who is this man? And so, the teachers of the law ask the question, who is this who claims to forgive sins? The disciples say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey when he calms the storm? We've seen Jesus performing miracles uh, claiming to forgive sins. He's, he's challenging the legalism of the religious leaders of the day. He's eating with the social and spiritual outcasts. He's demonstrating great compassion for those around him. And the question has been, who is this man that is doing all of these things? And we've, we've, uh, Mark has, has asked this question and he's invited us as his readers to ask this question. Who is this? Who are we talking about? And then last week we looked at, at several passages. We looked at uh, Jesus first heals a deaf man. And he heals him in sort of a strange way. He heals him by spitting and, and putting his spit in the man's ears and the man's tongue. Um, later on, he heals a blind man by spitting on the man's eyes. And Mark is getting us to say, pay attention, pay attention to what's going on. He's He's using these two strange healings of Jesus to get us to to focus. And right in the middle of those two healings, the deaf man and the blind man, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. And he says to them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And it's like, okay, what what does that mean? We talked about how last week that that what Jesus is getting at is, uh, he talks about, this is chapter 8, verse uh, 17. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And Jesus is saying to his disciples, pay attention to what is about to come. And Mark, the way that he's structuring his letter, is, his gospel is, is telling us, Pay attention to what is about to come. The question that we've been being asked is, who is Jesus? And, and now we're being told, uh, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Will, when you hear the answer to the question, will you be ready 
to accept it. And so we come to our passage and we looked at this passage in Sunday school as well this morning, but just to, to prepare us for what is about to come, I want us to look at it again. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way home, he asked them, Who do people say I am? So now Jesus asks the question himself. Mark has been posing the question. Everyone has been asking. Jesus says, What do, what do you guys think? Who, who are people saying that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. Then Jesus says, but what about you, my disciples? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This point in our, in our gospel, if, if, this, if uh, we could somehow get an audio version of the Gospel of Mark, uh, this would be the moment where Mark would be, uh, or a, vi- a video version, I guess, this would be the moment where, where the alarms start going off. Ding, 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 here's the answer. Fireworks would be going off, loud noises. We'd be, here, pay attention. Here it is. Who do people say, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Highlight it, bold. Yes, here's finally, we've been building up to it to this moment. We've been given our answer. Who is this? This is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Christ. And Jesus says, okay, don't tell anyone. And we've talked about this before, that that when Peter uses this language of Christ... Uh, this, this word is a, is a Greek word that just means anointed one. The Hebrew word is Messiah, so I'll use that word interchangeably. They both mean anointed one. And when Peter uses this word Christ, he doesn't necessarily have what we in the church might have as an understanding of, of what the word Christ means. We've come to associate the word Christ uh, as, as a title for Jesus. And we associate that word as, as an indication of uh, perhaps divinity, we associate that word as, uh, with the understanding of, of all of the ministry of Jesus and all that he has done uh, through his life and through his death and resurrection. Peter did not have that expectation when he utters the word, you are the Christ. Peter had the expectation that what it meant for, for Jesus to be the Lord's anointed was that he was going to come and he was going to bring about a religious cleansing for Israel reform the spiritual lives of the people, reform the temple system, but also free the people from their oppressors, from the Romans. And so he has this picture when he says, you are the one, you are the Messiah. He has this picture of victory, of you're the one that God has sent to bring about the victory that we have been waiting for. You are the Christ. And so then Jesus responds, and he says this in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus uses this term, Son of Man, and I want to show you this, this. He gets this term from from the book of Daniel. This is where this this 
phrase, son of man. And Jesus uses this title for himself several times. But I want to show you from Daniel 7.14 what exactly this passage describing the son of man says. So you have it there on your left. Uh, And it says this, One like the son of man was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And I put uh, Mark chapter 8, 31 next to it just for you to see. I wonder if you can uh, notice any discrepancies between Daniel's description of the Son of Man and Jesus's. Do you notice any differences? Yeah, right. The picture of the, of the Son of Man, that this term that Jesus is using, the picture and the expectation from Scripture of what the Son of Man was meant to be and what the Messiah was meant to be. Look at these, look at these terms. Given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations, peoples, every language worshiping Him. His dominion is everlasting. Not pass away. Will never be destroyed. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He will not be worshipped by all nations, but instead he will be rejected by the leaders of God's chosen people, the elders and chief priests, teachers of the law. And oh, by the way, he's going to be killed. So you have to feel a little bit for Peter. I mean, we, Peter gets a, a bad rap, right? Like he's, he's sort of constantly... Uh, opening his mouth and, and maybe saying the wrong things sometimes. But you have to feel for Peter when he says, he pulls Jesus aside and says, what are you talking about? Like, we know, we just had this conversation. You, you, I just told you, we believe that you are the Messiah. You didn't contradict us. You didn't say, no, I'm not. Stop saying things like that. And now you're using this term about yourself, the Son of Man. You're saying, here's what, here's what the Son of Man is going to do. He's not going to come with victory and power and dominion and his kingdom will never end. Instead, he's going to come and he's going to be handed over and he's going to be killed. And yes, Jesus adds this part and after three days rise again. But, but Peter and the disciples, they can't comprehend what it is that Jesus is, could possibly be talking about. And you really have to feel for Peter because Jesus is constantly saying confusing things to his disciples. I mean, just last week, we had this, this whole conversation they had about they forgot bread, and then Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, and they're like, oh, it's because we didn't bring bread, and Jesus says, why are you talking about bread? Like, all of these things, right? And so, and so Jesus is speaking in parables. Jesus is all, always saying things, and, and the disciples, I just, I picture the disciples constant, in a constant state of like, does he really mean that? Is that a parable? Like, you, you ask him. I'm not going to ask him. I asked him last time. You know, like, this is the picture that I get of the disciples. And so, and so you, you have this confusion of we've just, lights flashing. Here it is. You are the Messiah. We've confessed it. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, okay, now let me tell you what it means that I am the Messiah. And what it means is that I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be rejected. 
and I'm going to be killed, and after three days, I will rise again. And here we are at this pivotal moment in Mark, where our question has finally been answered. And the question that Mark is going to be posing to us and is posing to us is, will you accept a crucified Messiah? And from here until the end of the gospel, the question will be, will you accept a crucified Messiah? And I don't want to spoil the ending, um, but I think you know where this is going. We're going to the cross. And this, this is the trajectory. Jesus is at the northernmost point of his ministry right now in Caesarea Philippi. And everything from here on out is moving south towards Jerusalem, on his way towards the cross. And we believe at our church uh, that it's actually in the death of this crucified Messiah that we have victory. And that his death does mean glory and salvation for us and for the world. And so as we read this passage about Jesus and, and we hear him say, this is what it means for, for me to be the Messiah, we understand that what this means is that the cross actually accomplished victory. The cross was a symbol of execution for, for the people in Jesus' day. This is not a symbol that you would put in your buildings uh, as, as a, a place of celebration. And yet Jesus says, this is where we are headed. And so I want you to know that if you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus invites us to understand a world in which the cross brings about victory and that we can have salvation through the cross. For by grace you are saved, through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's not by any works that you can do, but it's a gift of God. The cross accomplishes victory. So Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. And Jesus turns to him and he looks at his disciples and then he turns and he rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is very harsh language that Jesus uses for Peter. He says, get behind me. You do not understand. You are not asking for the things that God wants. Your comprehension of what a Messiah means is a human comprehension, but the things of God, God is sending a Messiah who's come to serve and to sacrifice and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus says, get behind me. The lie of Satan is that Jesus could accomplish his work and, and draw the world to himself and be the Messiah without enduring the cross. This is what Satan tries to tempt Jesus with uh, in the wilderness after his baptism. Oh, you don't need to go through the suffering. Just show off your miracles. Show off your strength. People will believe. Bow down and worship me. And then you don't have to do any of this crucifixion thing. And the lie of Satan is that Jesus could be the Messiah without embracing the cross. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The, the, this, these language, this, these words that you're using are not from God, they're from man. 
But he doesn't end there. Then he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples. So now there's even a wider audience. And he says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. That's a little teaser for next week. Uh, But Jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to his disciples and says, okay, not only do I need you to grasp that what it means for me to be the Messiah means that I will be a crucified Messiah. But what you need to know and what you need to pay attention is that what's going on here is that if you are going to follow after me, that you are following me to the cross as well. And this seems really, uh, this, this language that Jesus uses seems really upside down. It seems really backwards. That if you want to save your life, well, you must lose it. Uh, and if you are willing to lose your life, it's only this is the way that you can save it. Jesus is saying, look, you understand that this is the kind of Messiah that I am, that I've been doing these acts of compassion that I've been working against the legalism of, of the religious leaders, that I've been found among the sinners. And, and to follow after me, you too need to be willing to, to show compassion. You too need to be willing to, to be on guard against legalism. You too need to be willing to be found among the sinners. But you also need to be willing to lay down your allegiances and your life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus, when he calls his disciples and he calls this crowd to, to, to carry their cross, to embrace the cross, he's not calling them to a life of some minor inconveniences. Uh, we, we uh, at our church, we don't celebrate uh, Lent, uh, but this, this is, uh, Ash Wednesday was this week, this is the beginning of Lent, um, and I know some of you participate in that. And, and this is a moment in Lent as, we, as, as the church history has, has celebrated this movement towards the cross, they've taken this time to forsake something, to give something up, to sacrifice, to fast for Lent. So sometimes people will give up silly things like chocolate. Sometimes it's more important things. Um, Jesus is not calling us, when he, when he talks about you must carry your cross, he's not calling you to give up chocolate for the sake of the gospel. He's not calling you uh, to, to some slight inconvenient parts of your life. Say, well, you know, I'm going to give up my Sunday mornings for the sake of the gospel so that I go to church. Or I'm going to give up an occasional weekend for the sake of the gospel. Or I'm going to give 10% of my finances for the sake of the gospel. When Jesus calls us to follow him and to take up our cross, he's calling us to give everything for the sake of the gospel. He's saying, you must be willing to die. 
that this is what we're about here, that I'm not going to, to some minor inconveniences myself, that I'm going to sacrifice and give up my life because this is the way to bring about life. And he says, if you are going to follow after me, you must be willing to give your life as well. You must be willing to embrace the cross as well. Paul recognizes this. Uh, Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Lest we think that Jesus is speaking only to uh, the small crowd present there. Let's look at these words from the Apostle Paul. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, Philippians 3. Paul uh, used to be a persecutor of Christians. He became a Christian himself and has been traveling around, uh, starting churches, giving his life to the work of the gospel. And he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi that he started. And he says this, uh, picking up in the middle of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, everything that I had, everything that I could point to in my life that is of some value is rubbish, is trash, is garbage compared to knowing Christ. And everything that might possibly get in the way, distract me, pull me away from knowing Christ and serving him with my life has to be gotten rid of. It's a distraction. There's nothing more valuable, Paul says, than knowing and serving and giving my life for the sake of the gospel. And what Jesus wants us to understand and what Paul wants us to understand is that that is true for you and I just as much. And this seems, uh, this seems slightly backwards. Again, this seems upside down, that we could possibly find life, that, that there would possibly be life in the sacrifice of a Messiah. And a Messiah that goes to a cross seems upside down that there might possibly be life in that, that there might possibly be victory. And yet the scriptures in the New Testament constantly calls us back to find the truth that in the upside-down gospel, uh, there is life. And that in this upside-down way of living, there is true life. 
I want to show you what I mean by this. I have a couple volunteers that are going to come up and help me now. You guys ready? Okay, come on up. Give a hand for our volunteers. <laughs> are you guys familiar with the story of uh, Moses when there is, and Joshua and Aaron had to hold his arms up to, to bring about the military victory? No. No, okay. Well, we'll talk about that another time. Um, I've asked these guys to hold something for me, and what they're going to hold are my feet. You guys ready? All right. Okay. You've got to help me up here, because I... All right. Let's talk about this. If, if I were to tell you right now that from my perspective, you are all upside down, what would you think? Who's, who's right? How many of you think that you are upside down and I'm right side up? How many of you think that I'm upside down? Okay, some of you didn't answer, so I don't, at least not from what I can tell. Okay, this is good. I'm going to pass it. Thanks, guys. That's all right. Thanks, I, I thought about that. I was like, how is he getting down? That's all right. That was good. Okay, thank you, guys. Whew. All right. From my perspective, you were all upside down. Do you realize that? You were all sitting, you know, it must have been strapped to your seats. Um, if I, and, but from my perspective, you, you all looked upside down. From your perspective, who was upside down? I was, right? Yeah. I hope that's clear. Um, but uh, except for my tie. My tie was working with gravity. Um, imagine if I were to be in a position like that and say the blood wasn't rushing to my head and I could stay in that position for a little bit longer. And imagine if I were in that position and I, and I did everything that I could to convince you that, that I was right side up and you were upside down. Would it, do you think there is any argument that I could have made that could have convinced you otherwise? No, because you're all smart people, right? Like, um, but here's the thing. We go through life with a perspective that our way is right side up. And that the way that we have been living and going about our lives is the, is the way that makes the most sense. And we've learned that we've been handed handed all sorts of things and say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And we come to a passage of scripture like Philippians 3 and we, or Mark chapter 8, where we're told that the way of life and the way of Jesus is like this, is about embracing death, embracing the cross, that we surrender all things of value to us so that we can pursue the gospel. And we come to a passage like that and we see it and we say that seems upside down from what we've been handed. And so we say, well, that's, that's, that's difficult. Like I can maybe do some of those things occasionally. But really that, that seems upside down. But the reality of the gospel, and this is something that we see again and again in Scripture, is that we are the ones who are upside down. That we're living our lives on our heads. That we're living our lives trying to convince ourselves that this is true. That what is more valuable is the things that we can accumulate for ourselves. 
or the security that we can maintain for ourselves, or the things that we have said are important and valuable and worth our time. And the gospel says, no, you're upside down. And, and we are standing on our heads trying to convince ourselves and trying to convince those around us that we're actually the ones right side up. Um, but the perspective of the author of life the perspective of the creator says, actually, the world is upside down. And what is actually right side up is this way of Jesus that doesn't seem to make sense to you, but the invitation is to step into this new creation and to live as though it's true. To flip on our heads and test it out and see if it isn't more valuable and more life-giving to find your life in losing it. To surrender your life for the sake of the gospel is living on our feet at last. And our usual attitude as Christians, and, and I include myself in this, and our usual perspective is that we are far too passionate about athletes and sports teams and movies and politicians and elections. We're far too passionate about, passionate about fashion or finances or economics. All, far too passionate about all sorts of things that are so limited and temporary in their perspective. And we, and we hold on to these things and we argue about these things and we give our time and our energy and our efforts towards these things. When they're so temporary and they're gone in an instant. And we're far too little passionate, not nearly passionate enough about the life-changing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not nearly passionate enough about the life-changing work of, cross, of the cross to bring about the redemption of humanity. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, yes, I am the Messiah. And I want you to know that this is what we're about. It's not about just coming and, and restoring Israel against the world. What we're about and what I am about is I'm going to the cross for the sake of the entire world, for the redemption of all of humanity. And this is what we're doing here. And as, as Christians... We put so often, we put our faith in other humans and in other organizations and in other things to bring about our satisfaction and our pleasure and we look to those things to be the things that will redeem us, that will be our hope for the world. And the only hope for the world is Jesus Christ. And we as Christians have been put on this earth as, as bearers of that hope for the world, that we are proclaiming that hope, that we are to be so passionate that, the, that we know, we understand that, that the only hope for the world is Jesus. And the church, the church are the, are the ones who are meant to carry that to the world. They're not going to get it from anywhere else. And the reality is, we're far too passionate about things that don't really matter. And that's not to say that we can't enjoy sports or get involved in politics or, or any of those things. 
But those things are, are side projects. And oftentimes we make them the project. And we're far too passionate about things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want us to recognize uh, one more thing here. We've been focusing on the idea of, of the sacrifice, the, thing, the, the ways that we surrender, the things that we need to give up uh, in order for the sake of the gospel. And the ways that God calls us to lay down everything. But I want us to, to not miss Jesus' words and Paul's words. Jesus says that it's in losing your life that you actually save it. The, the, the salvation is found in the losing of your life. That sometimes this can seem so exhausting to think about, man, if I, I have to give up that, like I can't, I can't put as much energy into those things and I really like that and it just feels so exhausting all the things that I have to change about my life. And, and I admit it does to me as well. But I think that's because we fail to, to grasp the significance of the upside-down kingdom. We fail to grasp that it's far more important, and this is what Paul says, this is what Jesus says, it's far more important, it's far more valuable than anything else that we could think is valuable and important. And so Paul says, all of these things that I had, whatever was to my profit, I consider it's a loss. It's worthless, it's, it's garbage compared to knowing Christ. And he invites us to understand and to come into that mindset as well. He says later on that there are some who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, these are Christians. These are people who are Christians who can't, who can't comprehend and grasp that the cross of Christ might mean something for them beyond just what they've received from it. That, that, that the invitation to also carry a cross seems, seems out of touch for them. And so they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And, G and Paul says, gives this invitation to carry up the cross as well. To live with a mindset and attitude where we serve one another through love. Where we lay down our own desires for the sake of one another. And he says, come and see that this way of life is actually better than anything that you had. Those things that you're hanging on to, it's a loss. If you were to weigh it on a, on, a, on a balance sheet, all of these things that you think are valuable are actually a loss. They're taking away from what is actually valuable. Jesus tells two parables in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, the, God, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's walking through a field and he, and he stumbles upon a treasure. And in finding it, he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to buy the field because he recognizes that the treasure that he found in the field is worth far more than all of the money that he has. And so he goes and he buys it. And he has far greater wealth than anything he could have imagined. And then immediately afterwards he tells also the kingdom of heaven is like a man in search of fine jewelry. And he goes and he finds a pearl of great price. And again he goes and he sells everything he has in order to buy the pearl because he realizes that the pearl is far more valuable than all of his wealth combined. And the invitation that Jesus gives here, the invitation that Paul gives, is to recognize that the gospel is worth far more than anything else that we could possibly give value to. And to recognize and to sell it all.
to jump all in to this gospel. And so as we close, uh, the question up until this point has been for Mark, who is Jesus? Who is he? This question will, will remain. This question will continue to show up. But there's a new question that, that shows up now as Jesus begins his journey from Caesarea Philippi on to Jerusalem. And this is the question, now that we know who he is, this Messiah on his way to the cross, the question for us is, are we prepared to follow him there? Are we prepared to follow him to the cross? Will we be the seed planted in the good soil that accepts the word and bears fruit, who absorbs it, who takes it and and lives and runs with it? Or will we reject it? Will we be so scandalized by the fact that we too might need to embrace the cross? Will we, we be so scandalized that we reject it? Or will we allow ourselves to be choked out by the worries of the world and of wealth so that we can't bear fruit of the gospel? Are we scandalized by a crucified Messiah? Do we pull Jesus aside and rebuke him? Not for you, not for us. The cross doesn't make sense. Or will we follow him there? Let's pray. God, this is a uh, perhaps a, a passage of scripture that we are very familiar with, some of us, that we've heard before. Uh, and yet we know that it's so easy to hang on to things that, that don't matter. We know that it's so easy to give our lives and our energy toward things that have no eternal significance. We pray uh, for, I pray for myself and I pray for each one here this morning that you give us the courage to examine our lives and to allow you to strip away those things that are just distractions. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the rubbish that we have chosen to put on a pedestal. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear the crucified Messiah who invites us to follow him. And may we follow. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Amen. God hands us a new creation in Jesus. He invites us to be a part of it. And he invites us to understand that the new creation is standing on its feet. And it's the old creation that is on its head. We're handed a new creation and invited to live as though it's the reality. Giving our lives for the sake of the gospel is living a life in a new creation. Jesus paid it all. We are invited 
to accept that new creation. And when we see the old, we say that is not, that is what's upside down. And we challenge it. And we live day after day on our feet in the new creation. May you recognize that Jesus has paid it all. And may you follow him to the cross.